decided to be down here this morning, stay a little warmer, stay a little closer, how that goes. Lila confessed to me this morning that uh, she uh, never wears slacks to church, uh, but this morning it was so cold she was going to wear slacks, and I encouraged her that God even considers wearing slacks on a day like today. Um, yesterday was uh, a very important day, wasn't it? Groundhog Day, February 2nd. Uh, I think it was February 2nd. Maybe you don't follow that stuff uh, about little rodents who live in the ground predicting the weather. Um, but it's a day that um, defines apparently how much longer winter is going to be. And um, the um, results were mixed. Um, Puxatani Phil said it's going to be an early spring. He saw, came out and saw his shadow. And uh, Wyerton Willie, one report said that he came out and didn't see his shadow. Another one said he did. So I figure that rodents are pretty mixed up if they're out of the ground on February 2nd. And that if they are out of the ground, uh, Spring is just around the corner um, at this, uh, especially on a day like today. So there, there's only two important days in your life and my life. Um, one is the day you're born, and the other important day is the day you figure out why. And uh, I don't know who. Uh, thought that one up, some attribute it to uh, Mark Twain, uh, but there's others who are given credit for it as well. This morning I want to reflect a little bit on the second day of our lives. Um, so this is a part of a series uh, from First Peter. Uh, the letters of Peter, just to review uh, what uh, has already been laid out for us just a little, um, is set in the mid-first century. Uh, the story of Jesus at that time is uh, spreading throughout the Roman Empire, and Peter is writing from Rome uh, to new Christians in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, uh, about the brand-new life they have in Jesus. He's particularly concerned about them falling away from the faith because They've chosen to follow Jesus and are undergoing uh, persecution. Uh, in choosing to follow Jesus, they uh, have rejected the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. They've rejected idols of all kinds. Uh, but we know from secular correspondence between governors uh, and emperors, as well as the five trials of Paul in the book of Acts, that the big rub was this. Um, the, the big rub was, what is the relationship between followers of Jesus and the state? Uh, they said they were loyal and paid taxes, uh, but we don't see them worshipping the emperor with incense and wine. 
the breaking of social and political solidarity has always been a concern for people in power. It is now, and it was then. Uh, but Christians with their own gatherings, worship Je worshiping Jesus and remembering him with wine, uh, were under suspicion. And suspicion quickly turned to outright persecution. Uh, and so at that point, the question became, how do we respond? Uh, how do those who follow Jesus demonstrate Jesus' love and mercy for the whole world in a rather merciless world? Now, at one point in Peter's life, you know and I know, uh, how Peter would have responded to that. He would have whipped out his sword and said, you know, people are going to hit me, I'm going to hit back. And um, uh, which makes the words of today's text absolutely remarkable. Uh, it's further down the line, further down the road in his life, uh, but he's come a long ways. Uh, Lane talked about this long journey that Peter had been on in following Jesus himself. It's an amazing journey. Uh, in prep for today, I decided to uh, go through the Gospels um, and catalog uh, the number of times that Jesus actually rebukes uh, Peter or responds to him, corrects him, uh, not always directly to Peter himself, but Peter's in the audience, we know. And um, it's really uh, quite a remarkable, remarkable thing. Uh, Jesus never gives up on Peter. Uh, Peter does give up on himself on several occasions. Uh, but uh, just, I just want to uh, kind of review a few of these incidents uh, that tell us a lot about Peter, as well as a lot about Jesus. Mark 9.33, after they arrived in Capernaum, Jesus asked them what they were arguing about as they traveled. And they kept quiet, embarrassed, because they were arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus took a child and said, unless you become like this child, uh, you will never even enter the kingdom. Uh, so Peter had to deal with his ego. Um, Matthew 16, 21, Jesus predicts his death. And Peter takes him aside, never, 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 Lord, none of this is going to happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Uh, Peter <coughs> had to deal with uh, kind of being on the wrong side at that point. Matthew 18, 21 says, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive someone who offends me? Um, seven times? Remember what Jesus said? No, 70 times seven. Peter had to get off his high horse and replace his own rigid sense of justice with mercy. Mark 10 tells the story of the rich young ruler who... Uh, how came to Jesus and asked him, how do I receive eternal life? Uh, he had to give everything away, Jesus said. And then verse 23, Peter protested. Uh, we've given everything away. We've left everything to follow you. And um, Jesus whips out this promise uh, to those who have left all. Uh, we'll receive a hundredfold in homes, fields, family, persecutions, in this age, plus eternal life. 
And so Peter had to replace a prideful, I've earned it mentality with a humble, Jesus made me the man I am. <coughs> Matthew 26, 31, in the upper room, you remember this story, Peter's promise to stick with Jesus um, and to never deny him. And Jesus' prophecy about a denial before breakfast, roosters crowing and all that. Um, lots of pride there. Overestimates of his own courage and ability to stick to the script. Matthew 26, 36. Prior to his arrest, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John uh, to be beside him as he prays. Uh, my soul is overwhelmed with, with sorrow, he says. Stay with me and watch. And he goes off to pray, and they, they go off and fall asleep. And uh, Jesus says, could you not be present? Could you not walk beside me for even an hour? Um, so the strong impression we have of Peter, Peter's temperament is that he's not particularly touchy-feely, not particularly a guy who likes to walk beside people who are going through uh, difficult things. Far better to walk around people overwhelmed with sorrow, uh, maybe catch a few Zs while they're going through their things. Matthew 26, 50, in the garden, Peter's defense of Jesus, we know this story well. Uh, the guards, uh, the, or the Guards approach Jesus, Jesus is arrested, uh, there's this flash of steel and a high priest's ear on the ground, and uh, Jesus healing, and uh, Jesus' words to Peter, Peter, put up your sword, put it away. If I need defense, I've got uh, 12 legions of angels that I could call on. Uh, so Peter's still on the wrong side. Then in Acts 1-7, just before <coughs> Jesus uh, leaves earth, the last encounter with his disciples, we're not sure that Peter asked this question, but he was there. And if he had not agreed with the question, knowing Peter, he would have said something. One of them asked Jesus this remarkable question, after the resurrection, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you'll be my witnesses. Literally, you'll be my martyrs. Uh, witness means martyr. Uh, you'll lay down your life in Jerusalem, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, if we accept First Peter as a kind of memoir of, uh, of Peter, uh, we know what he's saying in First Peter. Uh, he's saying, one time I thought my purpose in life was to build the kingdom, to enjoy myself. But I came to believe that my purpose in life is to let Jesus change me in order that I might bless others. What would, one would think that being sent that many times to the principal's office would discourage Peter. Uh, I'm sure there were times of discouragement, that, but there were also some inexplicable attraction to Jesus that kept him going. When the crowds left Jesus, John tells us, 
he turned to those closest to him and asked, Would you also go away? To which Peter answered, To whom would we go? You have the words of hope. You alone have the words of hope. And so to be a disciple is to be on a journey. It is to learn, which means to change. It's to be transformed by the Master. And today's text tells that Peter has been on this long journey, as one philosopher puts it, the long obedience in the same direction. Was Peter a slow learner? I don't think so. No slower than any of us at any rate. He just, uh, you know, his main claim to, came, claim to fame was that he was impetuous. Uh, so maybe he had a learning disability. Uh, I don't know. But I think what accounts for Peter's slower uptake was this. That if he wasn't a patriot, he had patriot tendencies. Simply, he believed a lot of what patriots believed at the beginning of the first century. <coughs> One, that a Jewish kingdom like David's would be restored. Two, that a Messiah would come to do this. Three, that the Messiah would ride a horse, probably a white one, and lead fighting men. And four, that their primary purpose was to toss out the Romans. A patriot is clear that things not only have to change, but that those who have made life intolerable need to be punished. A patriot's sword? Never dull. They know who the enemies are, and if there's not a fight, pick one. If for no other reason to make sure everyone knows whose side you're on. <coughs> if someone else picks a fight, strike back. Two eyes for one. Their ethic was Whatever it takes, the end justifies the means. The cause trumps people. There is no room for sissies, softies, or sympathy. That may be too harsh a profile of Peter, but I think it's in that direction. And I don't think it nullified what Jesus saw in him when he called him. Jesus saw a man whose courage trumped his desire for comfort, whose loyalty was unquestioned, and whose integrity was above reproach. What, he saw, what you saw was what you got with Peter. And Jesus saw someone who longed for shalom, the justice of God, the goodness of God, even though it was a long journey to understand what it was and how it comes to planet Earth. <coughs> so Peter's journey, journey, like most of ours, is a long one. To learn God's ways, we have to unlearn our ways. There's baggage to unload, a lot of fear to let go of, a lot of shame to melt away. How could he live down that shame of denial? Um, a lot of ideas to challenge in his life, loyalties to be transformed, a lot of character to be chiseled away at, a lot of damaging influences of family and friends, and slowly one piece at a time, and rather, or rather one failure at a time, 
that whole foundation has to be disassembled and put back in place. There's a lot of inner healing, including, I think, a, a kind of raw anger in Peter. There's a lot of testing, a lot of rebuking prior to a whole new foundation being put in place. A lot of new realities to be embraced. A brand new life arrives not by merit or mercy, sorry, by miracles or merit, but by mercy. For Peter, it took three raw, in-your-face events that the final pieces of that foundation. One was the empty tomb. It was Peter who noticed the burial headcloth, neatly folded and left behind, clearly not the work of grave, grave robbers. In spite of it, Peter didn't fully grasp the meaning of it and went back to fishing, probably still wounded in his own shame and guilt of denying that he knew Jesus as he stood by the fire warming himself with the others on that terrible day while Jesus was being interrogated. And so about a month after uh, the resurrection, a second piece of the foundation of Peter's life was put in place. Uh, Peter's coming in with a load of fish off of Galilee, where he's gone back. And there's another fire, a beach fire, someone cooking bread and fish on the seashore. You remember that scene. It's Jesus. And he invites them to have breakfast with him. And after breakfast, there's another interrogation, this time of Peter by Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me for who I am? <clears throat> there's not a word about Peter's denial. True to form, Jesus doesn't throw failures in Peter's face. There's no blame that fixes us on the past. There's no I told you so that establishes guilt. He opens the way to the future. Peter is fully restored. Jesus says to him, you Peter, just follow me. Feed my sheep. The third and final event that would indelibly changed Peter, happened a short time later, probably within a week of that incident, and it's Pentecost. <clears throat> a divine inbreaking, in the likes of which no one had ever seen, wind, fire, and the Germanic ability to speak in languages that they had never learned. 3,000 people respond to Peter's invitation uh, or Jesus' invitation through Peter to follow him. They believe, repent, and are baptized. A fisher of men, indeed. And now, 25 or 30 years later, this is what Peter says to young believers who aren't quite sure what they've signed up for when they said yes to Jesus. Specifically, they're not sure of how, as strangers and aliens in the world, they should relate to others, especially those uh, who would persecute them and say evil things about them. In the previous part of chapter 3, um, there's 
um, the question of how to relate to governing authorities, how is a slave to behave, even, even under harsh treatment, um, what if I choose to follow Jesus and my husband doesn't, what is the response of wives, how am I to behave as a Christian wife, and husbands are asking, you know, I've always thought of my wife as property, so how should I think of her now? How should I treat her? And then we come to today's text. It's a summary, some general instructions to all Christians. And um, at the heart uh, of this uh, two verses that we're going to look at this morning in a little bit more detail, um, it's the heart of the matter, the essence of, of how, what our response should be uh, to those around us. Um, and so this, uh, these uh, two verses that we're going to look at, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3, uh, sums up the inner requirements, uh, attitudes, and fundamental, the fundamental behavior in our relationship, and lays the foundation uh, for what follows about persecution. So let's, um, we've... Uh, so the long, this is just kind of a summary of what I've said, the long journey to participate in mercy, yours, mine, and Peter's takes time, doing it by merit is hard work, self-proclaimed miracles don't work at all, allowing mercy to be formed in us takes time. Uh, it's a long journey to learn, um, to learn mercy. And, um, and so this is what we come to at this point. Uh, in the journey of Peter. Let's say it together, read it together. This is from the New American Standard. Um, let's read it together to sum up. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, the reason we're not going to... Um, dig into um, Psalm 34, which is uh, verses uh, 10 to 12, is because it's essentially a parallel, a parallelism. Uh, so uh, he's saying the same thing. There's nothing that he's covered in verses 8 and 9 that's not covered um, or in those, those verses. Um, but these are, an, these are really amazing words in my mind. Um, a lifetime in the making. Hard to believe a one-time patriot is actually speaking them. Um, these are the words of someone who has been with Jesus. He's been transformed himself through the renovation of his own heart in his own life. And Peter, more than anyone else, knows they are also words that transform people and transform potentially the whole world. 
And so there are, are, um, are three uh, requirements for responding to those who persecute you going on in this passage. Uh, five attitudes, one command, and one calling. The five attitudes. Um, if the gospel is true, you'll be described by five adjectives. A lot of translations actually turn these into verbs, turn these into actions, and for sure there's going to be actions that come out of them, but they're actually adjectives. They're actually things that go on in the inside of us. They're actually attitudes that we need to have. Um, so a human being who is harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, tender, and humble, you'll agree, is a very unusual human being. Uh, but this is why Peter's call to us is not possible uh, without the new birth. As with all of these things, they come to us in that mysterious blending of human surrender and God's grace working upon us. There is forever healing in the letting go. Be wary of trying to live out these attitudes in your own strength because it is not possible. We love because Christ first loved us. We become harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, tender, and humble as we allow Christ to work in our own hearts. So just a little bit about each one of these things. Uh, number one, be harmonious. Um, <clears throat> Peter is not talking about uh, uniformity here. He's not talking about everybody agreeing on a thousand and one things. He's talking about agreement on what we have together in Christ. And he's already explained a lot of those things, and I won't uh, go into them here. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, the same living hope, the common inheritance, uh, the protection of the Father, the common family, the common birth, uh, a common role, we're living stones. All of these things are uh, what we hold in common as, um, as part of the family of God. Uh, so with all of this in common, essentially what he's saying, how could we possibly uh, be divisive? Uh, how could we possibly be undermining one another? How could we possibly be um, speaking against one another? Um, it has to do with um, not uniformity, but unity. Uh, the Thirty Years' War in Europe that decimated Europe in the first half of the 1600s uh, was fought over theological fine points. Uh, a blotch, really, in the name of Christ. And I love the famous whispering of a Lutheran pastor, Rubertus Maldinius, in those ugly years, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. If we are so united to one another in Christ, we will be sympathetic. Uh, what does it mean to be sympathetic? Uh, sympathy, sympathy in our day has an element of kind of condescension in it, doesn't, doesn't it? Um, I feel sorry for you. Um, None of us need that kind of uh, sympathy. But the original word means to suffer with. Uh, sim pathos. 
same feeling, fellow feeling, if you want. It's your hurt in my head. I acknowledge it. I recognize it. Um, to sympathize with someone else is to feel for others in the same way that Jesus feels for us. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's power in knowing that others feel our pain. Number three, be brotherly. Uh, we don't get to choose our brothers and sisters in the family of God any more than in the human family, do we? One could say we're stuck with each other, but it would probably be more brotherly to say, I'm here for you, I've got your back. The New Testament speaks with directness, almost frightening about this. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Whoever doesn't love his brother abides in death. One time folk came to Jesus and said, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting for you. And he, motioning to the people who were with him, said, behold, my brother and my, my mother. Number four, Peter pushes the palette of relational attributes even further with this next one, tenderheartedness or compassion. Literally, I can't say this, properly in, in the Greek, but it's uh, splegshon, uh, which basically means to feel for one another in your inner parts. Um, the only other place in the New Testament is in Ephesians 4.32, where it says, uh, talking about forgiveness, learn to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Uh, to forgive someone, I need to have a tender heart. I need to see them as a person who needs me, not just somebody who hurt me. Um, so sympathy is your hurt in my head. Compassion and tenderheartedness is your hurt down here. Uh, compassion is sympathy with feet and hands eager to help. Tenderheartedness is the picture of grudges released. It's the beauty of the gospel in the church when we let the grace of the Lord Jesus that covers us cover others also. There's real healing when someone says, we're with you. We understand what you're going through. What can I do to help? Uh, or just give a hug. Or the reminder at a graveside. You know, God made tears too. Uh, that's tenderheartedness. Um, be tender-hearted and compassionate. And finally, be humble-minded. Uh, this was the big thing that um, Peter had to wrestle with, and he had a lot of letting go to, uh, to get to the place where he was humble-minded, where he had equal respect for other people as he had for himself. Uh, some translations use the word courteous. Uh, if you're arrogant, I don't need to, I don't need, if, if I'm an arrogant person, I don't need to be courteous to you. Uh, because, you know, I'm better than you. Uh, but if I'm humble, I respect you. And uh, 
Uh, I respect even, and this is the big implication in this, in this text, I respect even the people who are doing me bad, <laughs> my enemies. Uh, it's an amazing thing to think about this. He's, he's not talking about, you know, respecting your friends. He's talking about people who are, you know, what do you do with people that are, want to take your life, want to hurt you, want to speak in evil about you? Uh, be humble, be courteous. Secondly, um, there's a command. Uh, and this goes fairly quickly here. Um, the command is, don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Um, how should we behave towards others if we are God's people? Living stones, resident aliens? Uh, we don't behave as the usual residents, do we? If we're resident aliens. How do the usual residents behave? Well, those of you who've had kids in your family room know exactly how the residents behave. Um, you know, he hit me first. Uh, no, she hit me first. She's lying. No, she, she hit me with the remote. Um, no, he, he pinched me. Uh, well, she drew, she, she made my nose bleed. On and on it goes. Um, and then, you know, you enter the room and say, what's going on here? And again, that's permission to uh, find out uh, who, uh, you know, who's to blame for this mess. Um, Repaying evil for evil, insult for insight, in, insult is not something that plays out not only in our family rooms but in other parts of the world. Uh, in the Middle East, it is everybody's family room. Uh, we seem to have the kind of magnetic attraction to make sure that I get a fair shake, that I'm not diminished more than you, that you don't get more than me in uncontrolled environment, it always ends badly. As Gandhi once said, we seem quite willing to live by an eye for an eye until everybody's blind. Repaying evil for evil, insult for insult ends badly, primarily because hurt people don't do math very well. How many public put-downs should I speak for one private slight? How many times do I get to blow grass on your driveway if you're always blowing leaves on my lawn? If you, I should be talking about snow there, but uh, if people don't let me merge, am I entitled to go bumper to bumper to prevent others from merging? Um, you come here with swords to arrest my Jesus, somebody's going to lose an ear, at least an ear over. But Peter has come a long way since those days. Jesus has shaped him. He's learned that the best way to combat evil in the world is not with a sword or a sledgehammer, but to expose it for what it is. To let it die in you and me. Even if you suffer in the process, evil will die. And so Peter has learned the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 
Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say other, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. And Matthew 5, 43, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's absolutely unique in the Christian faith, what we do with our enemies. It's not found in any other, any other faith in the world. We respect, we honor those who would persecute us. We pray for them, we love them. A few years ago, a Mennonite student at Alberta Bible College got married. And she told me that as a gift, her father had given her a copy of a very, very old book called The Martyr's Mirror, uh, written by Thelma Van Brock in 1660. <clears throat> she was telling me because she said that for the first time in her life, at 21, she had begun to appreciate the rich heritage of faith that she had. It's a story of believers of the Believer's Church in Europe uh, in the 1500s to the mid-1600s. Uh, the story of a persecuted group of people called the Anabaptists. It's really a catalog of those who had lost their lives um, in, in persecution. And um, the only reason why they were persecuted is because they'd been baptized as believers been baptized as, um, uh, as adults. And so uh, they were, when they were baptized as adults, regarded immediately as traitors of the state and heretics of the church. There would be a price on your head and you'd be on the run if you took that step. The Martyr's Mirror contains a story of several thousand who died for their personal belief in Jesus Christ and the desire to follow him daily in life. One very famous story is that of Dirk Wilhelms, who died in 1569. He'd been imprisoned and had escaped from his imprisonment, uh, ran, across the, uh, ran across a frozen river, and his pursuer fell through the ice. He looked back, saw him crying for help, and um, went back and helped him out of the ice, pulled him out of the, the freezing waters, and for his trouble, uh, was put to death. Um, that's maybe an extreme example, but that's what it means. Don't repay evil for evil. Um, we don't need to go back 400 years. Jimmy Carter welcomed Richard Nixon back to the White House after the shame of Watergate. Amazing thing. A man kills five girls in a schoolhouse in 2006. The murderer's family is tortured with guilt and shame. And uh, a man of that community holds the murderer's father, weeping in arms. Reports are for at least an hour. The community starts the foundation to help the murderer's family. Don't repay evil evil, but repay evil for good.
So we looked at the five attitudes and how to relate to one another, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted, and humble and courteous. Uh, we've looked at the one commanded behavior when someone wants to hurt you or insult you. Don't do evil. Don't be insulting by returning the favor. And in conclusion, uh, there is the one call which we were called. There's a second important day of your life and my life. The day you figure out why you were born. Our text says, don't return evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit the blessing. Why were you born? Why, why was I born? You were born to bless and to live in the sunrise of blessing. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the example of uh, Jesus Christ who um, showed us this path to new life. And we pray, Father, that you'd help us to seek to be faithful, um, that you would help us to be faithful even uh, at the at the cost of our own suffering. These are hard words, Father, uh, but help us to enter into them this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.